Welcome everyone. This is Jeff Cohn and with the Wall Street Resource. And joining me is Brian Cox. He's the CEO of Surge Pays Inc. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Glad to be here. So so Brian, for those that aren't familiar with Surge Pays, can you just give us a quick overview of what you guys do? Yeah, sure. Uh, Mile High View, we really have two main channels of revenue and focus, all ultimately in the underlying space of the underbanked and underserved markets, delivering essential products and services to them. One is our B2C product, which is directly to the consumer. It's Internet connectivity, or as we call it, mobile broadband. That is through, um, you know, we're really the beneficiary of the infrastructure bill because we were already providing wireless telecommunications, internet prepaid wireless to customers. So we were licensed to be able to offer government subsidized internet to qualifying folks, which is now between a quarter and a third of the country. So that's been a really fantastic um, revenue producer for us over the last year. And then the other, the other channel, which dovetails perfectly in, is a prepaid FinTech platform that we go into convenience stores, bodegas, and tiendas, any retail store that's really in that community area of the underbanked low-income area, where it's kind of the, let's call it the quasi-heartbeat of that community. And we enable the clerk to use our platform to do top-ups for all the prepaid wireless companies out there so folks can pay their Boost, Metro PCS, track phone bill. They can activate and reload Visa gift cards to get, empower them to purchase things over the Internet. Uh, and a lot of other tools that would be a, Let's call it a quasi-banking for the underbank, the financial services for essential things that folks that don't have access to credit cards and checking accounts uh, uh, would be able to you know, need to kind of enhance their life. So these two things tie together. We've got B2B, where the underbank shop, and then B2C, providing Internet directly to them at their household. Okay. So, so really, I'm going to look at it as two separate companies. I know they go together well, but just for the sake of some of these questions, so on the, um, on the mobile Internet, um, what's the competitive landscape look like there, where you fit in, and, and what edge do you have? And, and does that subsidy still continue? Yeah, good question. Let me, let me answer your questions in reverse. The subsidy does continue. The, the infrastructure bill converted the subsidy from an emergency benefit into a permanent uh, connectivity program benefit. And why that's important is now it's sister with um, Lifeline, which is Reagan's program, been around since 85. Uh, it's evolved into, uh, you know, back then it was landlines, dial, dial tone, and then it converted into wireless around 2010. And so that's still around. So we know that these become budget items that are funded every time the budget is funded. So that was, that was when we went all in and got behind this and, and really took steps to expand into all 50 states and get uh, get get a big push behind it and really reinvest in our infrastructure to make sure that we could amp our subscribers up. On the, uh, the, the flip side, the, um, uh, the, the providing that service at the convenience store, it's, it, it works unique because we're able to set up tents out in these communities on the corners at these convenience stores, put the banners up on the side, free Internet. Folks in the community know what that is. They come up, they enroll and they walk away with an 8-inch tablet and free Internet. Hmm. For, for no money up front? They, the tablet cost them $11. Uh, and we can get into the uh, really fantastic 
financial fundamentals of the program in a minute. But the, from a consumer standpoint, you, you're talking about folks who during COVID, their kids were not able to access their teachers through their Zoom. And this is what really spawned and triggered this program. Uh, you know, most people that are blessed enough to have reliable Internet don't think about the fact that a third of the country is either staring at a three-inch prepaid phone or just don't have Internet access at all or have to go to the library or the McDonald's parking lot type uh, thing that, you know, in the lower-income neighborhoods, the tactics that they use to get on the Internet. So this was one program where I would applaud the government and making sure that digital divide didn't continue to increase because the, you know, the way we've the way this has evolved, and of course, we're really on the forefront tip of the spirit, especially with this underserved market, and we see the education, employment, and healthcare reaching this underserved market, and this really being the portal to these folks kind of leapfrogging forward back, uh, and again, closing that digital divide. So it is, uh, it is a pretty cool program that, that we've been really successful at. We're, we're excited about it, and we're definitely excited about, you know, again, when they, when they made it permanent. So I'm going to leap ahead as well um, with a question. In terms of penetration for that segment, where are you? Is it is it maxed out, or do you got a lot of runway? Oh yeah, no, it's it's nowhere near maxed out. And you know, I got I got a little carried away, excited about the product, and I forgot to answer your competitive landscape. There's really <laughs> the unique. Uh, yeah, I'll get you. I'll circle back around. Uh, okay. the, the niche that we have, and this will get to your point. A, quite a few of the folks that are providing this service would be like your Comcast or Charter Cable. They're folks who are getting a subsidy, and then they're providing more of a fixed line uh, communication. That would be to a certain segment of this underbank market that would have a little bit better wiring in their residence. Uh, it's not going to be your more transient folks that have unstable wiring or people who would be relying on a modem in their household. Uh, you know, those, those guys really got an early mover advantage because a lot of them essentially passed on a subsidy to an existing customer base. They upsold an existing base. What we do, and one of the reasons why we're so excited about this, because there's not a lot of competition doing it how we're doing it. The government incentivizes us as a company to put an 8-inch device in the customer's hand, an 8-inch screen tablet, so it's not just a smartphone operating off a modem. They want them to be able to do homework and be able to have more of a, you know, what would be your computer screen. So we're subsidized at a level of $100 per tablet to enroll customers, get that tablet in their hands. Tablets usually cost us anywhere from $80 to $85. So we've got a, a pretty good little return on the investment of putting that tablet in a consumer's hand. And then the service reimbursement that we get every month for these customers is $30 a month. So it's $30 reoccurring every month for a service that costs us about 15 So one of the unique aspects of the program was, again, this just started last August at, uh, for us. August 1st, we had zero subscribers, zero. Uh, we just passed over 150,000, and that's why I don't know whether you were able to see the press release, but you know that was literally an economy of scale of zero starting from software zero, starting in state one. Uh, and from there, now we're in all 50 states. Our software is humming. Our sales teams are built. Uh, you know, we're seeing a couple of thousand subscribers a day. So we've got a, a really cool hockey stick of subscriber growth that we're seeing right now. Very good. 
Okay. So it sounds like in the niche of that, you're you're pretty dominant. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, well, again, I, I'd say the only, you know, I was an economics major, and, you know, you always had demand, supply, and that would either give you your output or price. This is so unique because demand is not an issue. Uh, it, it, we push out as many devices as we get every single month. Um, you know, it's more of a managing salespeople screaming at us for more. So, for example, I think we pushed out 40,000 devices last month. Uh, we probably could have done between 80 and 100,000. When our guys go into these towns, but uh, pardon me. So, supply chain is your bottle, biggest bottleneck? No, it's not supply chain. It's the uh, we're intelligently and strategically funding our growth through our cash flow and then leveraging our receivable to get access to capital. The the lifespan of the uh, let's call it the kind of the mechanisms that go into the, the, the program, we need we have to buy the tablet. And we'd get reimbursed for that tablet about forty five days later. Because, you know, we buy the tablet, we put that tablet in a customer's hands during a calendar month. At the end of the calendar month we file for all of the new subscribers that we just enrolled, and then we get paid for that a couple of weeks later. So it works out to about a 45 days. So if we're spending five to eight million dollars a month on tablets, you know, I'm one of those CEOs where I'm the largest shareholder in the company. I'm not going out and selling stock and taking advantage of any of these 20, 30, 40 million dollar term sheets that are in front of me with all these warrants and discounts and no IDs and coupons. Uh, you know, I, I don't get mesmerized by being able to have access to capital because number one, we don't need it, we, we want it. So we, what we were able to do is instead of just using some of the traditional micro cap access to cash that would dilute our shareholder base, we built our receivable up to over $8 million from the United States and we're leveraging that for access to cash to make sure that we don't plateau our growth. So it's the hard way, it's a little bit more of a grind uh, you know, but my goal was not to just see how fast we could get to a half million subscribers. My goal was to get to a half million subscribers with as relatively close to the float as when we listed on NASDAQ. So, and that's the path that we're on right now. And we, uh, you know, we, we definitely are hitting that trajectory. Very good. And, and the other business I, I, I imagine is, is more competitive, the prepaid? Yes, it's, it's more competitive, but what's unique about that one, it, a lot of the a lot of the folks out there are only doing transactions for all the other prepaid wireless companies, Boost, Metro PCS, Cricket. And it is a great product for the store. Because keep in mind, you know, the store's big thing there is inventory. There's no inventory in this. They're, doing, they're simply doing transactions. And I'll walk you through a quick one. Let's say I just got a text message from TrackPhone that my time was up, my 30 days expired. So I need to go pay 40 bucks somewhere. Instead of going all the way across town to the TrackPhone store, now I can just go down to the corner couple of blocks away and I could put $40 on the counter. That clerk pulls up the surge pays platform, they type in the number, they hit $40 and hit go. That instantly posts to the person's track phone account. Now they're replenished, they're good to go, their phone's wired back up, they can talk. And that store owner, we're going to ACH him tonight. Let's say it's 10 points he gets to keep. So we're going to ACH him for $36 tonight. He just made four bucks for making that customer happy. And that customer is going to grab a bag of chips and a Dr. Pepper on the way out. It's just the way it works. This is a business we've been in for over 15 years. 
So it's, it's a great service to the community. It's a great service to the store. But really, the reason we're staying behind this, because it's a fintech transactional platform, so the margins are obviously significantly less than selling your own product directly to consumers. But the reason we're doing that is ultimately we want to be able to have all of these community stores all across the country on one network to be able to be distribution points for our products. We used the transaction model, kind of the Trojan horse, to get in the store, to have a relationship with the store's checking account, to build trust. Now we go back in and offer our prepaid wireless service. We offer our telehealth service. We offer other consumables that we can sell directly to the store on a nationwide basis at a time when gas prices and all these other chaos is going on. We're simplifying these store owners' life. So that is the big play three to four years from now on the fintech side is being able to push our products through these stores to the same community that we're already delivering Internet to. Okay. And then, so I imagine your prepaid uh, is the bulk of your revenue right now. Is that correct? And, and if so, what, regardless, what's the mix of revenue between the two businesses? That's a good question because we just saw a seismic shift there over the past uh, three or four months. The uh, Traditionally, taking payments, in, or we call it top-ups, doing top-ups for all third-party prepaid wireless companies really was the bulk of a lot of our business. Um, so let's say we did $51 million last year. You're probably looking at over half was directly attributable to doing those transactions. Well, because of the mobile broadband explosion, and again, just simple math, going from zero subscribers in August to over 150,000 now and adding over you know, 1,500 a day, we've seen the it, – it, it's almost been like you see some of those real-time graphs when you're looking at uh, – uh, animations where things just shift because the mobile broadband revenue is now, uh, again, we did $51 million without mobile broadband last year, and now we're topping $8 million a month, you know, ballpark $8 million a month, and skewing up. So what you're seeing is by the end of the year, you know, you're, you're looking at very close to between 90 and $100 million in mobile broadband for this year. So it's, it's – uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question for me to ask because it's not, we're not a company that just grows one or two steps every single day methodically, and you know one side's growing at 2% and the other side's growing at 8%. We've got one side growing at a decent percent, and then we've got another side growing at double digits month over month. So it's really a, a moving target to be able to see. But I, if, 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 you, if you pin me to the wall and ask me where I think it would be, I think you're probably looking at by the end of the year, we're going to be over 70% mobile broadband just purely because of the, 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 the way that it's such a gold rush and a land rush for us right now. The margins are so huge. It's so profitable. So we're pouring and reinvesting all of that capital right back in to you know, the, uh, uh, what gives us the greatest return. Do you have political risk there? I mean, it's a subsidized business. Yes. Hey, great question. I get that a lot. Uh, and coming from a guy who's been involved in subsidized communication for 20 years, I've, I've watched it with various FCCs. I've watched it with various presidents, both red ties and blue ties. What's really interesting about this is, number one, the first subsidized telecom that really hit the mainstream was Reagan's program, 1985 Reagan. Uh, and it was to make sure that folks had the ability to answer the phone at their home when somebody was calling about a job application. 
back in the day, which again evolved into wireless, now evolved into internet. The importance of internet as it relates to education, healthcare, and um, overall employment, and bluntly just making sure that there's not a drop off in the low income neighborhoods, which would ultimately evolve or devolve us into a third world country. There's our feedback from the Washingtonian <laughs> folks is that this is never truly going to be something that somebody could go out there and campaign on taking away internet from that single mom with two kids draped around her legs as she's trying to work three jobs to make ends meet. It's not going to happen. It's a social program that's actually getting results, and there's true benefits to it. Uh, we, we think before this goes away, there'll be a lot of other programs out there that will go away, and I have not seen any real attempt, even in the lifeline space, of, of taking it you know, off the table. And if anything was going to come off the table, it would most likely be things not as important as the mobile broadband program. So we're, we're pretty happy with where it sits and the longevity of it. And, you know, as it relates to our growth, and you had asked about competition and niche, I don't see our growth slowing down for probably two and a half to three years. At some point, you know, the law of large numbers kicks in, and, that, you know, that, that 70, 70 million folks out there that uh, it's, it's estimated that qualify for the program, you know, at some point, then you just now it's more who's strategic, who's providing a better service, and you're you're cannibalizing other companies' customers. But we don't see that uh, being a problem, uh, or not a problem, but being a challenge for two and a half, three years. And when it is here, you know, we we do a lot of really creative things that the other competitors don't. I mean, we own our own software that provides the service, so we're we're integrated with all kinds of other prepaid financial products. So we can come up with all kinds of incentives and enhancements. Uh, and like I said, one of the great ones coming down the pipe for us is telehealth. Uh, you know, so there's a really, really great pipeline of products that we'll be ready for whenever that slowdown happens in a couple of years from now. So if I have this right, the end user for both your services, both ends of the business, are really the same, essentially. So there's a good crossover. Is that correct? You are correct. And let me, I'll clarify that. The underbanked, underserved consumer on the mobile broadband, that's, that's, that's a household. So that's 150,000 households right now that get their Internet access through us using a tablet that could also duplicate as a hotspot. On the other hand, we do have our clients who are the stores, the community stores, but all of these stores service that same underbanked consumer in that same community. So it's the same people that our company and our team has been offering financial services and telecom services to for 20 years. Now we just put it all together. We built our own software platform to kind of bring it all together and make a big, huge run here at a time where all of the big companies have just now realized over the past year or two that this is the last digital frontier left in the United States. So we do think it's the right time for us to push as hard as we can and go out there. And, uh, and the way I look at it, we're building the railroads into these communities by using our software, it's a digital railroad, points of distribution, the, the stores being the depots. Okay. And then you're, you're now nationwide, did I hear that correct? And if so, how long have you been nationwide? Yeah, you've got some good questions. The, uh, we, we had 14 states when we first got certified. So when we talk about our ramp up and our scaling and customers, uh, you know, 
it wasn't until three months ago where we closed on an acquisition of another company that gave us 36 more states so that we could have all 50. So we've only had all 50 now for you know a couple of months. It hasn't been a uh, it hasn't been a thing where we started out of the gate with all 50, which is another reason I'm so excited at the fact that we're you know we surpassed 150 now, and that next 150 should take us less than half the time that it took us to get uh, the first 150. So um, yeah, all 50 states now. Uh, you know we we have folks that are signing up online nationwide, and then we have about 400 different. Uh, they don't all set up every single day, but about 400 salespeople spread out all throughout the country that are setting up pop-up tents with banners on the side and folding tables and laptops. It's kind of if anybody's ever been out and seen the open enrollment for the um, Medicare and Medicaid and some of the healthcare programs out there, it's a very similar thing right there in the the, the parking lots of the convenience stores in these communities. Okay. So so when you say you're in a state, you still are going to open up additional points of distribution within those states, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So in in terms of scaling this, it's just really capital constraint. That's the biggest bottleneck, and that's under your control in terms of how sloppy you want to get with financings? <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Uh... there's probably a more eloquent way to word this, but at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a guy from Tennessee, man. I I pretty much just shoot straight. We're, we're growing exactly how we want to grow. We're making the decisions. We're bringing in exactly the number of tablets, exactly the number of, of smartphones and everything hits almost perfect every month so that I don't have to get any capital that dilutes the shareholders. Uh, now, I'm not a fool to think that there won't be a day or a time or a, an event that will make sense to use the market. Otherwise, it would have been foolish to go public. Mm-hmm. So there, there will be something, there will be that time when we obviously go to the market for capital to make gains and make strides. But we work out, we basically have huge grease boards where we laid this out and we look at what the expected impact, the expected um, you know, EBITDA multiple, where we would be, what would the growth Ultimately, what's the net, net, net impact to shareholders? Because I'm really unique, too, that all the key people on my team are all shareholders. The largest shareholders in the company are all on my team. So we, we, but we kind of have a two – we have our – we always call it our, our hat on front, which is our C-level positions, and then we turn our hat around backwards, and that's our shareholder positions. Yeah, but, okay, so we bring on $30 million. Yeah, we could add, you know, another couple of hundred thousand subscribers fast, easy. But what did we just do? What's the what, what is the whole you know what's our market cap and what is that how does that ultimately impact all of our net? So we we really are growing from a standpoint of maximizing the capital that we can have using debt and receivables and renting people's cash to grow uh, and to keep this skew because it is look man I mean you know anybody that's ever done the old school Excel pro formulas left to right with columns knows that you know there is a methodical growth pattern, but if you're continuing to grow at that double digit uh, month over month over month, you know when you're running the the red and black at the bottom of cash flow, you know that's really hard to do without just stopping sales for 30 days, which you know I'm not willing to do. So it is a it's a unique growth model, and, and bluntly I, I've scaled two companies really really fast before in the last 20 years, had been really blessed and successful in the telecom world. But I've never seen anything like this where you're never constrained 
from demand. You're never butting up like trying to get a rebound. You're never butting up against competitors. It's so wide open. So that's, uh, you know, it does, that's when I say, you know, when we could forecast out and say we really expect this to be another two years of this type of, uh, of hockey stick growth, uh, we really mean it. Okay. And so you made an acquisition that was part of your growth strategy. Are there more in sight? I think, you know, the way to word that is everything is always for sale and everything is always for purchase. So if something makes sense, you know, we, we acquired a – we had a – really wasn't a, a material event type acquisition that we, 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 we promoted necessarily, but we acquired a CRM because it made sense. It's a customer relationship management software platform to integrate all of our other financial tools and all of our other prepaid wireless products to offer our existing base. And also it, it made sure that we had the circle of life owned by us and we were not dependent on any more third parties to provide this service from A to Z, fully integrated into the government's clearinghouse database for doing enrollments and signups. So there's, there's strategic acquisitions we, we do look at. I think that it doesn't make sense to acquire. any When we're growing you know, hand over fist and cash flowing, and we're growing as fast as we can shake a stick at anything that moves, we don't need to do an acquisition to show growth when, you know, again, we, we did $51 million last year. We're looking at $125 million plus this year and looking at, at a minimally double, you know, expecting to more than double that the following year. I don't necessarily have to do acquisitions to grow when we're a sales-minded company. So where it makes sense, uh, I think what you'll see in the near future is where we have add-on products, or we call them bolt-on products. Other products that would enhance our existing, uh, let's call it existing services, and be able to leverage our base, leverage our fast-growing base to upsell, and then not only make more money off the same customer base, but be able to really up our retention, too, by having a more sticky customer you know, getting more services from us. So that's, that's gotcha. what I'd be on the lookout for. Okay. In terms of revenue models, I guess there's two different revenue models. Is that correct? Yeah, there really is. The, uh, the one we spoke of before, the, the FinTech model where you're, you know, it's the old school. You, you do more transactions in the FinTech world, but you're moving money from A to B. It's not actually your product necessarily. So anytime you're transferring value, your margins are obviously less. So we're looking for anywhere between a 4 and a 6% margin on the fintech side of the world. And on the mobile broadband side, we're looking from anywhere from a usually ballpark 50 to 55% margin month over month. Okay. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, you know events or catalysts as we watch you over the next 12 months, is, is it just block and tackle, tackle execution, or, or what should we watch for? Yeah, you, you know, from an old football player, it would just be blocking. You know, if we do our job, there's minimal tackling. So I'm an old offensive lineman, so <laughs> just just blocking and paving the path for 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 our sales guys. No, I think. You know, there's not necessarily going to be, you know, this, uh, this light that shines down from above and all of a sudden we're now, you know, break even and thank God we don't have to raise money anymore. That was really more that happened last year for us. Right now it's, it's throttling. I call it throttle control. Like when you're on a really fast motorcycle or a four-wheeler, 
you know, growing at the red just before the red line financially, pushing it as hard as we can. I think milestone-wise, I really look to announce here in a couple of months that we've surpassed 250,000 subscribers. I think that's going to be a big one. Uh, when we're able to announce here shortly that we've successfully integrated a, a really low-cost but high-value telehealth product, which, again, taking a step back, emergency rooms are full of folks that are exactly in our market. That's my market, and they're using the emergency rooms for health care. That's not for emergencies. So that, you know, you talk about the benefit overall to all society. Well, if we can get folks FaceTiming their doctor from some of the basic health care, and we're the ones that are able to actually kind of tie those two ends together and not rely on a government solution, but a quasi-government solution subsidizing us, subsidizing us to you know, come up with the intelligent grassroots solution, I think those are the things that you're going to see that really have an impact on uh, not just our bottom line, but society, and then also our, our, uh, our overall market cap as well. Very good. So, Brian, before we go, anything you want to leave us with? You know, I think for those that are, that are, that are checking us out, I think that, you know, to step back and look at what we've done, where we're, the fact that all the things we've talked about, you notice that we're not talking about gas price, inflation. You know, the, the third of the country we provide services to, it's kind of like when you're standing waist deep in the ocean and those waves are coming. Well, what do you do? You dip down, right? Well, that's where we are. We exist there. We can grow, you know, we could grow to a billion dollars in sales uh, a year within a couple of years very quickly regardless of what's going, going on in the world. As long as, you know, our country is still standing, you know, th there's still going to be convenience stores. There's still going to be retail outlets around the corner. There's still going to need to be a uh, need for Internet access. And even if things go crazy next year and everything just brightens up and the birds come out and chirping and the sun shines and, you know, all of a sudden it's a booming economy again, our market will be the exact same market it is today. It doesn't, it doesn't change. If anything, with immigrants coming in uh, and, and with more people needing help, our market's only increasing right now. So I think that would be the one. You know, when you're looking, I think we fall into a unique category of being a very aggressive growth microcap company that's not affected by your normal indicators that could swing you up and down. Right now, we're only swinging up. Gotcha. Well, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time and, and sharing the surge pace story. Very interesting. Hey, anytime you want me back, I'm always uh, – I understand what my role is as CEO, uh, you know, hollering from the megaphone, letting people know what an awesome team I have and all the great things they're doing. Very good.